You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Herd Tell. Welcome back to Herd Tell. We were talking about ricotta cookies. That's why we're both smiling. That's Sarah Montabano back on the show again, getting to be a favorite because she always brings good information. How are you, ma'am? Great to have you back. I'm doing well. How about yourself? No, same as last time. Uh, we are going to talk a little education. She's with the Alaska Policy Forum, also a Young Voices contributor, good friend of the program. She goes all the way back to the radio days. I had her on the radio before we were ever doing her tell. So you're one of the OGs around here. How's that feel? <laughs> it feels good. Yeah, I remember fondly a compliment your mother gave me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, mom's probably listening. Hi, mom, because we're going to talk education today. My parents, let's just start right there. My parents were both career educators, so I, I, I take these kind of things seriously. Um, and when the pandemic happened, I was the primary stay-at-home parent for my two youngest kids because our school district shut down and they stayed shut down. There was none of this back and forth. They kept they kept that puppy down for 13, 14 months, whatever it was. You've got some data now. This is really shocking numbers on what we did to our kids educationally for the COVID pandemic. Absolutely. Um, first of all, these numbers came out last week and the National Assessment of Educational Progress um, that was administered in 2022, earlier in January through March. Um, and so we're measuring three years of decline through a lot of that. Um, the most recent test was in 2019. Uh, so, you know, 2020, 2021, a lot of schools were still closed. Um, and it's really uh, remarkable how poorly states did in mathematics especially, but also reading, no states improved over this time span. It's really a question of did they manage to keep their ground or did they decline uh, a lot? (laughs) And they declined a lot. I'm just looking over some of these preliminary numbers. I don't even, honest to God, I don't even know where to really start with. They're talking (laughs) about kids losing years. Yes. Not semesters, not years. 
the average fourth grade math gains, they basically lost two years of education. Yeah. Yes, eighth absolutely. Grade student, eighth grade students lost almost the equivalent of two years in mm -hmm. English scores. Like, I'm just, I don't even know where to start with this data set. I'm, I mean, you're compiling it. You sent me some of it. I was doing my prep. We're like, I don't even know where to start because just everywhere you look, it's bad. It really is. There's a, a, my area of expertise is Alaska, and I've been living and breathing this data since last week when I came out. And at least in Alaska, charter schools, really the really bright point where charter schools were outperforming uh, the traditional public schools and, you know, providing an outlet for students that are really struggling uh, and in helping them advance through that. They did decrease by a few points, at least in Alaska uh, since 2019, but they are overall holding way, way above where um, traditional public schools are. Um, and, and it's really remarkable that nationally, fourth grade math gains are back to where they were since in, in 2005. I mean, we've wiped out 15 years of progress there. And, you know, reading the same story, eighth grade reading, um, back down to 1998, uh, pretty much when these tests were inaugurated. Um, so it's it's really remarkable um, what having all of this online learning, these school closures, not having a teacher around, uh, maybe parents aren't as involved in, in uh, the pandemic age. There's, there's a lot of people theorizing about what caused this, um, but it's all pandemic related. Yes, yeah, Sarah Montalbano joining us. Let's just get into it and we're just going to have to go there because there's no way around this. It's the remote learning. That's what changed everything. Now here, there, but there's, it's too simplistic to say this is all remote learning's fault because no, it's not because there is a good portion of children in this country and a vast portion of college students that learn online just fine. Thank you very much. Now, I understand yes. kindergartners and primary, it's a little different. Let's be adults. Mm -hmm. But in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with remote learning. So let's just put that on the table. Yeah, We're online learning should always be an option. You know, a lot of kids, it works really well. It was being thrown into this so suddenly um, that really, really hurt students um, in, you know, the spring of 2020 when this all started happening. Let's start with that. Let's just go through it. Yeah. There was clearly most of these schools did not have a plan on how to do remote learning. They were doing it on the fly. I know for mm -hmm. a fact because I sat there and helped my children do it. It got to the point where I would literally tell them, like, whatever they do Monday, don't worry about it because Tuesday it's going to change because everybody's going to call and complain and they'll change it. And that's exactly what happened. They were not prepared. They didn't know what they were doing. It was scattershot once they did it. And then once they started doing it, they didn't, there was a lot of not adapting. Mm -hmm. Before I just bash everybody for that part of it, let's all be real clear here. I understand nobody saw the pandemic coming. I understand that it was something nobody really anticipated that we were going to shut the entire school system down basically nationwide. Even still, I believe crisis reveals things. I think this showed some real problems in the education system as far as flexibility and frankly, as far as prioritizing learning other other things, because when you went online and you just had to do the learning without all the other stuff, there's a bunch of people who just couldn't do it. Let's just call it what it was. Oh, that's absolutely the truth. I mean, I think mathematics showed a lot of really painful decreases in uh, proficiency nationwide, mostly because mathematics is really difficult to teach online and to do well. Um, and that this practice that has to happen at home to hone your mathematics skills uh, just wasn't happening as much, whereas reading is something that 
you know, hopefully if you if you've got parents that are involved, um, you know, you're learning some reading skills outside of the classroom. Um, and, and it just it, the pandemic really revealed that um, the public education system isn't working well for a lot of students, um, not just students that were unhappy online, but thriving in a regular public school. Uh, but it's just giving a lot of students the opportunity to tune out. And, and it's not an engaging education for them uh, in, in public schools or online. Um, so that's what I think we saw is a lot of school choice programs offered a way out um, for a lot of students during the pandemic um, to pick something that really works for them and their families. Right. And you mentioned school choice. So I want to go here because I'm a fan. Look, my kids have gone to both public and private school. I went to both public and private school. My two youngest are actually in public school now. But I believe in school choice. Not everybody has school choice. There's places where there is no other option. They only have the public school option. So I think it's really important we point out here that we also found out you can't just say, okay, school choice is going to fix everything because it can't. And I've seen this on the right, and we need to discuss it. You can't just abandon the public schools because that's the only option for a lot of people. And I think too many people wrote that off. I think there's a lot of learning here to do of like, okay, I know we all have our favorites politically and policy-wise and things that we really believe in. Hey, this policy is really going to work. We also got to understand we got a diverse country and those policies doesn't work everywhere. Is it fair to take that lesson away from this as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the lessons I draw from this data, at least, is that um, states with really strong public school, early literacy, you know, advances programs um, that I've had this for a long time, their public schools are doing really, really well despite this. Um, and that it's not so much whether it is being online that is the cause, but that the teaching methods that we're, you know, forcing students through in traditional public schools maybe aren't working so well um, in, in any case. Um, so Florida really did well. Um, Mississippi really did well. They have uh, strong early literacy programs. Um, and in places like that, uh, you know, you you obviously can't abandon public schools. That's not a good choice for a lot of people. And people shouldn't have to abandon public schools in order to get a good education for their children. Um, so that's one thing I'd like to see is see more states adopt these kind of reforms that'll actually, you know, teach students how to read before fourth grade and things like that. Yeah, Sarah Montabano joining us. There's a thread there that we have to touch on because, look, I believe that when you're talking about really tough policy stuff, you got to be practical, too. Absolutely. Florida, Alabama, those are those are warm weather states. Those are southern states. <laughs> it's just a fact. Part of this COVID thing, we know the winters were harder than the summers were. That's when you had mm -hmm. spikes. That's when you had trouble. You have kids basically stuck inside for longer periods of time. When you take away school and they go to the home environment, and especially when you have seasonal differences and you have weather differences. And there's other data here that you're pointing out in this data set. You start seeing economic differences mm -hmm. and things like this. I really think we need to have a long, hard conversation about how one size fits all education is just not going to work because you're seeing it here. Cold weather states, they perform differently than warm weather states. Higher income brackets, well, they can hire tutors. They have probably better Wi-Fi. Like, look, they have what? Look, West Virginia, they had to ride around in buses and set up Wi-Fi stations because nobody has Wi-Fi because there's no broadband in white swaths. You can go 20 minutes out of a state capital in the United States of America and there's no broadband. Like, that's just a fact wow. of life in West Virginia. I, Alaska, there's wide stretches. We've where got there's, that too. <laughs> there's not even cell service, right? Mm -hmm. We've got to realize there's diversity issues here and quit with this one size fits all, throw money at it mindset. 
I really take that away from that data says like all these divides are because you try to push a one size fits all. And then this is all the stuff that goes through the cracks. Absolutely. I mean, broadband was such a huge issue in Alaska. And that was, I think, one of the things that this pandemic money was uh, trying to fix is establishing enough Wi-Fi for students to be able to do any of this learning. But you can just really see this this one size fit all is not working. We're seeing that obviously um, higher performers are losing less, uh, lower performers that are you know, already on the margins of not being able to do some of these skills, they're, they're dropping a lot and maybe they need more intensive intervention than the public school system can give them. Um, and that's, that's, it's absolutely the lesson to draw from this data is that a lot of states have really different situations um, and that legislation and policy need to be crafted to those situations. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. joining us. You talked about the early literacy. I want to come back to that again. Here's why. Because we know we spend more money on education in America per capita than just about anybody else, and we're getting less for the money. That's just the fact. Throwing money at education does not improve education. We've got all the data in the world. Let's all be Mm grownups. However, you talked about those early literacy programs. There is data that those have an effect. Those are expensive, though. So where do we start having the conversation of, yes, we're spending tons of money. There are some things in here that cost money that are worth the money to spend. It sure looks like from the data set, especially that fourth grade and under, and then that fourth and fifth and sixth, that's kind of the tipping point where you get into the more advanced studies. And if you don't have the reading skills, you're not going to pick them up then because then you just get tidal waved with everything else, right? Fourth grade level and down literacy. We should probably just say, we know it's expensive, but we got the data. That's where we fire hose the money. Is that what you're seeing? That's absolutely what I see. It's so worth it to have these early literacy programs. And by the time that the NAEP exam is testing fourth graders, you know, students by third grade should be able to read because up into fourth grade, you're not uh, learning to read, you're reading to to learn other materials in mathematics, history, social studies, um, any of these other fields. Um, and so, you know, students at that stage start falling farther and farther behind. And, and really, you know, a lot of assessments begin at third grade when you should be doing little check-ins throughout the year. And maybe that's expensive, but it is worth it to catch this early uh, and to be able to actually direct, you know, a lot of these programs have early literacy coaches that'll go to schools and train teachers in the science of reading. Um, there's, you know, intensive interventions that are expensive, but important for these schools that are really struggling. Um, so I think that's really where the bang for your buck comes from in education spending. Um, 
what we see a lot of is just growth in administrative and support staff, which are important, but not necessarily at the rates that they have been growing. Um, and so if you need to find the money somewhere, start looking there first. Yes, yeah, there, Montebano. I'm going to I'm going to rant for just a second, but it's needed. Please do. That administrative and support staff level, you can look at any chart you want to. And it's basically a hockey stick graph. The amount, mm -hmm. the explosion and where all the money's going. It's not in classroom teachers. It's a reason why they take all that money, but I got to spend more and more every year on getting Kleenexes in the classroom and pencils, right? It's all going to this administration level. It's going to those folks that never darken the door of a classroom. I've got, I'm, this is real talk on this show, folks. Maybe this segment ain't for you. Let's just talk real. I got visceral anger at the fact we've spent so much money on those folks. And when COVID hit, no offense to them, and I don't mean them personally as human beings, their positions were worthless. Yeah. Because now you have an in-classroom teacher in front of a camera trying to teach students. Mm -hmm. And those people are nowhere to be found. And they're making sometimes double what that in-classroom teacher is doing. Like, this is so broken and so backwards. I don't even know where to really start with that. But I know where the money's going. It's going to things that are not in the classroom. And the data in the classroom is showing that it's not going to the things in the classroom. Absolutely. I'm going to show you an article after. I'm going to send you this link. Uh, but the Reason Foundation did a study of where education funding and revenue has gone since 2002 up till 2020. Um, and supports services are have gone up, you know, in Alaska, support services are up 50% since 2002 after adjusting for inflation. So you can't say, well, inflation's whittling this away. Um, and when you start breaking it down into actual uh, by what they're doing, uh, you're seeing, you know, school administration and, you know, general administration going up a lot. Um, it's it's really remarkable how this has happened. And in, you know, Alaska, we are pretty notorious for having really expensive per pupil education next to really, really bad outcomes. In this NAEP results, Alaska, you know, fourth grade reading, we're down second to last nationwide ahead of only New Mexico. Um, and we're spending, you know, $18,000 per student. And, you know, a lot of it's going towards administration and, you know, buildings and, and things that are, you know, necessary, but not in the levels that we are funding them. Yeah, Sarah Montabano. I'll talk about my home state, who I love so much. You send me the data set on it. West Virginia has 78% basic or below basic mm -hmm. for fourth grade. We've always, West, I'm talking about West Virginia, we've always been at the bottom of every education. We're on the bottom of every list just about, but we've always been on the bottom of it. Look, my parents were both West Virginia school teachers career-wide until they retired. My daughter's in college to be a teacher. She's probably going to be a teacher in West Virginia right now. What do you do with a state that's mostly rural, obviously poor, losing population? They're going to have trouble. You know, the, you're not going to have money to throw at the problem there. Mm -hmm. So now what do you do? Because when you see a number that that, you know, nationally, you're talking about two thirds and they're above that 78 basic or below lacking skills, no mastery of simple tasks like inference. Let's go back to what you just said. There's a tipping point in school education. I've heard my dad talk about this for years where you they stop teaching you how to learn and then it's just adapt to what we're teaching you. So you learn it. And that lack of skill set is where you just start burying people and being unable to learn, not just for a grade or two, but for a lifetime. What do we do to fix that? Oh, that's a big question. Uh, I wish I had. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, you know, Alaska's in the same boat with that. We've got 76% of fourth graders can't, you know, do these basic reading tasks or only show a little bit of mastery. Three out of every, every four students don't know how to read. And that's that's really remarkable. It's difficult in a rural state, especially with um, going online for COVID. There was a lot of chronic absenteeism, and we were talking about this before we got on the air. Um, but there's, you know, chronic absenteeism has always been an issue in Alaska, but it really spiked due to the pandemic. Um, so the first thing is trying to get, you know, children's butts back in their chairs in the classroom. Um, and then so much of this is coming down to teaching techniques. Um, you know, if you're trying to teach reading with the whole language method where you're looking at a word and guessing from pictures and and all these different things, you know, you're not going to learn to read as well as if you start sounding it out and you, you're using phonics. Um, and so that's where these early literacy programs come in for, uh, you know, public school systems. And then the last thing I would say is West Virginia has opened up in 2022 this year, uh, the HOPE Scholarship Program, which is an education savings account, um, opening more school choice options like that for students will help them really try to escape these really failing schools um, and, and teachers who either don't care or aren't uh, putting in the necessary work to get them where they are. Um, and so, you know, expanding school choice options, I think, should be an important key to that, but it's not going to solve the problem entirely. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Sarah Monteblano joining us. You mentioned the teachers, so let's take up for the teachers because, again, I, I think what happened in the pandemic for the most – and you had some bad teachers. You always have a few bad ones. I'm talking about the majority of the most of them. I think the teachers really got screwed because I think the administrative level wanted to put all the blame on them for the problems. Mm -hmm. They're getting it from the parents. They're in a situation they've never planned to be. I think the teachers got it on all sides, to be they fair did. to the teachers. Really we've got, And we've got the stats now leaving in droves. They're having a hard time recruiting teachers. We can't find enough teachers just about anywhere right now. How do we solve that problem? Because again, just throwing money at it ain't, ain't look, I know it, look, every, no politician is going to come out and say teachers make good, a good living. It's not a bad living when, you know, you work nine, 10 months out of the year, get weekends and holidays. Let's you're doing okay. I agree. You may be a little underpaid depending on your location. It's not just a pay thing. How do we get that profession, that career path? That used to be a revered thing. It no longer mm -hmm. is. Some of that's cultural. What do we do about this teacher shortage? Because you and me can, and whoever, mm -hmm. we can talk policy all day long. If we don't have enough teachers and teachers in the classroom to implement policy, it ain't going to matter. 
huge question, but there's a few parts I want to touch on. Uh, one of the things I personally think would help a lot is making it easier to become a teacher and not saying we're lowering standards, but, you know, I'm saying, you know, look, I got a bachelor's in computer science. Why can't I just go take the teacher licensure exam to go be an AP's computer science teacher? Uh, why, why do I have to go back to college to get teaching degrees, which, you know, are a large part um, politically saturated with certain uh, teaching methods and stuff like that? Why do I have to go back, you know, if, if I'm an expert in my field uh, to get that? So reforming teacher licensure to make it easier for also cultural and community leaders to do some teaching in schools. That's one thing uh, we'd like to see more of in Alaska. It's it, That's a huge part uh, to it. Don't make teachers, potential teachers, go back to college because a lot of people are just going to say, no, no, that's not worth it. Um, and, and it's not worth it also because of, you know, how teachers are treated. And I think administrators really threw teachers under the bus in a lot of ways um, during this pandemic. And they were also the most visible part. You know, you're not watching administrators give online lessons to your kids. You're watching the teacher. Um, and so that's that's a huge thing to make teaching a respectable profession. And it doesn't need to be necessarily more high paying than it is. Um, this is a little wonkish but I'd like to mention it anyway. Um, reforming the way teachers' pensions work so that they are more portable between districts and jobs would help a lot for teachers to not feel like, well, if I leave this district, my pension's you know, back down to a really low level. I'm being penalized for movement this way. Um, and that would help bring in teachers from other states um, to have that. And then also recognizing teacher licenses from other states uh, would help a great deal. Yeah, Sarah Montalbano joining us. I, I found this out firsthand because I went to find out what I needed to do to substitute teach when I first left the military. <laughs> you only needed 30 some hours to get a substitute teaching. Absolutely. But there was people with master's degrees. And one guy I know that was actually a doctor who did a text proxy with me. He's like, no, I just have a substitute licensure because I don't want to fool with it. He's a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, no, why is he gotta... not qualified to teach yeah, high school he, biology? He's like, I don't want he's like, I don't want to fool with it. So I just get a substitute and I help out when I want to. And we were doing a test proctor thing, which you didn't even need that. We were just, you know, watching sixth graders take a test for their standardized testing, stuff like this. Let's go back big picture for a second, because this is going to come off harsh, but I want to go there because it's important. What did the pandemic see? I think crisis reveals things. I think crisis tells you the truth because it strips away all the nonsense. So if we look at the pandemic and we look at people's actions, not their words, I think a lot of people told us exactly what kind of education system we had. And I think and I've talked to my children who went through this, who very much struggled. They found out that they were cogs in a wheel. That's how they felt. Absolutely. That's a cultural thing that's not going to change. I think the teachers feel like they got screwed on all sides. And I think they've got a legitimate beef there. Mm -hmm. I think what we found out in the United States of America in 2022, 2021, 2020, we've said our schools are about education, but our actions and the way we conducted ourselves during the pandemic said it's not about education. It's a jobs program and a daycare center. And that's how we funded it. And that's how we treat it. And that's what we expect from it. And mm -hmm. that's why we acted the way we acted. If I went to a court of law, I think I can prove that. I don't think I can prove that we're all about education after this. Do you disagree? I mean, that's my opinion. What do you think? Because that's what I drew is like, we, we revealed what we really thought about education in America. Absolutely. Education right now does not teach students uh, how to be critical thinkers, how to be creative, um, things like that. It's really 
you know, I, I, I was great at school. I enjoyed my time in public schools, but it's not a place for students that are really looking to create these like next century jobs and innovations and things like that. Um, you know, states need to start thinking about um, re reforming their, their programs to actually put some emphasis on this. Um, and, and to really bring back rigor too is, is a huge part of it. I mean, I look at you know, college entrance, entrance exams from 1920 or 30, and there's not a single question on there I could answer. And I consider myself fairly well-educated. Um, and so that's, that's something I, I see a, a huge problem with is just, it's not rigorous. It is being treated like a daycare center. And then, you know, when you say, well, we're not going to have the daycare center. We're going to make you guys uh, do this daycare center. And then we're going to still try and teach. I, it's really no wonder that scores dropped so much. Yeah. And again, let's just call it what it is because back then the test scores didn't determine your funding. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what, that's where the, the paradigm really shifted, but we'll get into that some other time. Sarah Montabano, this is going to be a generational problem. So it's going to be a generational fix. We're going to be talking about this a lot, but I appreciate you. Hey, this is one of those you went to me. It's like, Hey, we need to talk about this. So I appreciate it. I hey, made my show prep easy. This is something we're going to be talking about a long. Look, I've, I'm, and again, this is personal because I see this in my own kids yeah. where, you know, my own, my youngest daughter is like, why should I study? They're not allowed to fail us. And they weren't because yep. in the state of North Carolina, it got out. Somebody leaked it that, you know, they're scaling all the zeros to 50. So everybody passes. Mm -hmm. The kids are smart. They know that. And she's, you know, this is an integrity problem. I got a parent out of her, but she wasn't wrong. She's like, why should I study? They're not allowed to fail us. Mm -hmm. The kids are smart. They, they know what we did to them. And Absolutely. we're going to have ramifications for a generation on dealing with what we did to these kids. Mm -hmm. during COVID, even, I, and I understand there's a pandemic. I look, I'll give you the first couple of weeks. Nobody knew what was going on. I get it, but we're going to be reckoning with this for a very long time. I'll give you the last word because I've been talking a lot here, but when you looked at this data set and you looked over, just what do you take away as to what we need to do now looking forward? What's the next thing to look at? What's the next thing to advocate for? Do you think? Big question. Three parts. Um, first of all, we can't, let this happen again, um, especially not to the same cohort of kids that are still going through, but especially, um, especially those kids. But it just, it, we cannot either be so unprepared for an online transition or do it at all, because I think there's a lot of kids that just cannot or will not learn uh, through a screen. Um, especially younger kids. I mean, you're asking them to sit down in front of a screen for hours and that's, that's just not going to happen. Um, the biggest thing to improve public schools are these sort of literacy improvement programs. Um, right now we need to catch up and that's going to be really stressful for, you know, older kids who have been living with these, um, living at this level of, of proficiency for a while now. Um, but that's something that in order for colleges to be ready, for trade schools to be ready, you know, students need to learn how to read and have base, basic math skills. Um, so there needs to be some substantial remedial time on that. Um, and then finally, we need to continue to improve school choice options nationally. Um, states have control over these. Um, so, you know, get as much legislation introduced as you can while parents are still really dissatisfied and, and just try to improve this learning loss however you can. Students that learn best elsewhere should try to make that jump 
um, you know, as soon as possible, or at least make incremental changes, like hiring a tutor, taking some classes at a different school. Hey, all those non-certified teachers, you put a tutoring program together, that might be something you want, somebody might want to look into. That's free. I'm not even going to charge you for that one. Just check it out. <laughs> Sarah Montabano, she's one of our favorites. Um, we're going to keep having you back on a host of topics because you're great at this. We appreciate you. But until we get you back, let folks know where they can follow you, where they can keep up with you and what you got going on. You will be able to find my upcoming report on www.alaskapolicyforum.org. Uh, that's where I do all my education work uh, in Alaska. You can also find me on my Young Voices talent page and on Twitter at Sarah Montalbano, and the O is a zero. Yep, it's a, which messes me up every single time I do it, quite <laughs> frankly. But, uh, Sarah Montalbano, nah, it's not your fault. Hey, <laughs> every, you ought to try doing my Twitter handle on radio hits. That one's a real, I didn't think about that one ahead of time, four for the fire. You, you spell it and then there's a numeric, there's no good way to do it. So I messed myself over on that one. Sarah Montalbano, always enjoyed talking, my friend. We'll do it again real, real soon. Thank you. Yes, Ma'am, thank you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.